Wi-Fi here. Alright, so let's get to it. Let's get to the basketball. Um, last time on uh, Duke Basketball Junkies, we talked about Frank Jackson, uh, Trayvon Duvall's decisions impending. We both kind of, we had the lean right on Frank Jackson leaving. Uh, reading the, We read the tea leaves and then he performed pretty well, apparently, at the uh, Combine. And he was gone like the wind. Yep. Uh, you know, you're the biggest Frank Jackson advocate I know. Am I? Uh, you know, it's been a week, but um, I know you were disappointed when it happened. You're going to miss Frank, right? Yes. Very much so. I think his some of his measurables at the Combine really leapt out. I think he had maybe this, you know, the second highest vertical. Mm-hmm. You know, just stuff like that. Scouts, scouts really like that. The uh, so I listened to the Duke Basketball uh, Report podcast actually earlier today, and one of the guys there mentioned that um, he had heard or the rumor mill was that Quinn Snyder and the Jazz had uh, potentially indicated they would draft him with one of their late first round picks. They have I think they have Golden State's pick in their own the twenty fourth and the thirtieth pick in the first round. Uh, Frank Jackson's from Utah, so it might make sense. Uh, so possibly that happened. Uh, possibly he didn't need that kind of promise, and he just he was gone. He wanted to be one and done. Uh, that was his intention. I've seen a few mock drafts with uh, Philly taking him early in the second round. Yeah, I've seen him in the second round. Draft Express still has him in the second round, but um, it wouldn't shock you if he went late in the first round. Yeah, if I were betting on it, I'd say he's a favorite to go in the late first round. Okay, given given all all that we know. Apply some uh, some Bayesian analysis to the fact that he he took the leap. Yeah, um, I did want to go back real quickly mm-hmm. to Quinn Snyder. We talked about him, I think, two podcasts ago. Do you remember the time you brought him over to AEPI to give a, a talk? Was that Quinn Snyder or was that some other assistant coach in the mid nineties? Yeah, yeah, uh, that was Quinn, Quinn Snyder. Quinn Snyder came and gave a talk in our commons room on the uh, Clock Tower Quad, and we our first year in the new section on Clock Tower Quad AEPI. Was it like 96, 97, or was that? I think it was 90, it was 95, 95 96, 95, 96. Our sophomore year. Okay. He came over, he brought his uh, black lab with him. I don't remember he, like, the lab. He had I, him on a leash. And I think I came in a little bit late. Oh, you, I invited you. You came in. Yeah, and I, was I was there. Yeah, he was, he was terrific in person. He gave a great talk. He was funny, personable, uh, you know, talk, gave us a lot of good basketball knowledge. I wish I had taken notes. You don't remember anything substantive that he said? Do you? I bet you do. I, me- I remember yeah, one specific thing. Memory. I remember that he said... Uh, 20 year, 20, over 20 years ago. He said, Roshan McLeod is playing circles around our starters. I do remember that. McLeod, oh, that, that lets us know what year it was, because he, yeah. he was ineligible. Our sophomore year. That year, he was talking about how good McLeod was going to be. And he was. He was fantastic when he started playing. He never missed a shot. and so, it, Every shot was a swish. Yeah, that mean mugging Kobe face when he would hit a mid-range jumper at late in the game to seal a seal a game. He would like scowl his face. Yeah, but I remember that. Yeah, yeah, Quinn Snyder. Yeah, he was great. He was great. Great to do it. Um, you know, the whole fraternity really appreciated. It. it was a great program. One of the best programs we ever we ever had for sure. And, and then, that, I, and that was your doing? Uh, no, I don't, I don't think it was my doing. I think maybe I helped somebody who's doing it. Did you have somebody in your uh, fraternity who was like a student manager on the team? Uh, that was later. We had we had a women's basketball manager, 
a guy named Neil, who uh, wow. who was a good guy, but uh, he didn't hook us up with Quinn Snyder. Okay, because he was a freshman. He, he wasn't even a freshman then. Um, all right. Anyhow, back to it. Frank Jackson gone. Bye, Frank. Possibly Quinn Snyder stole him from us. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, Trayvon Duvall came through, committed with this uh, kind of a strange. I was Players Tribune. I was supremely disappointed in that little video clip. Yeah, let's talk. Let's talk about it because I also there's thought nothing, there's nothing to talk about. It was like this strange animation he put together. Talked about himself like it was a felt like he was talking about himself in the third person, very LeBron esque. Yeah, like uh, I'm a big deal, and I'm gonna release this in this weird cartoon video format. Yeah, and uh, it was less about Duke and more about more about his Trayvon journey, about yeah. his journey, sort of like a yeah. metamorphosis type of thing. But I don't know. There was some heart. It there seemed were, like there was some heart in it, but right. it just. It I mean, for for me, when I watch it after the ninety seconds or whatever, I mean, I just scratched my head. I was like, yeah. I mean, he could have. I was expecting more, a little bit more revealing, a little bit more whatever. Yeah, I was expecting to at least hear his voice was in it, but yeah, it was it was short and sweet and uh, it was fine. I was just happy, Big Duke. Yeah, I am. Because I, man, we I need was him. I was over the moon that he selected Duke. First of all, yeah, and secondly, I'm just so curious to know how much of a role Frank Jackson's decision actually played into Trayvon Duvall's decision making. I mean, is is that why he waited all that time? Like, I, don't, I don't think he did. I think he's just a bit of a showboat and wanted to be the last one of the last guys to decide. Right. That's the way it felt to me, and it felt like he wanted some publicity around it. Yeah. He wanted to sort of tease like. You know, my guess is he knew it was Duke a month ago, and just teased it out in order to get more mentions, yeah. get get some buzz going, because guess what? He's going to be one and done most likely, and uh, you know he's going to want the shoe companies to come calling, and maybe he's thinking like like that already. It kind of, I think I mentioned it last week, but it sort of already feels like he has an agent, or at least he's thinking of himself as like this brand or commodity, you know? Well, I mean, yeah. I mean, I think all all of the top 10 recruits each year from here on out should think, should, that should think that way. Or they sh- they, ha- they have to have somebody in their camp sort of like shaping their direction, uh, specifically regarding money. Sure. Deals, endorsement deals. And, and that's great. Yeah. And I encourage that, right? Yeah. Like, I'm not against that. I don't think like, oh, these guys shouldn't get paid or anything. I'm glad they're all going to get paid. They all deserve it, right? You know, as long as they end up proven out. But there's something about his lack of... I just don't see a lot of, like... I don't feel that he's... Uh, I don't see the kid in him. He just, it just, I just see the polish. Like, it's all too... Like you're talking politic. about, like, the innocence and naivete is not, not there? The juice man, my man... Uh, Jordan Tucker? <laughs> Jordan Tucker seems just like an enthusiastic kid. He's, he's like interested in some buzz as well he's posting a lot yeah but there's um you know it's almost uh i said it was lebron-esque what i meant by that is lebron just is almost like a politician in the way he brands himself he never nothing of you know like he just there's not a lot of him it's about his brand and trey duvall there's like he almost didn't post at all the last couple months even after he made the decision for Duke, it was this like somewhat crafted 
it's like a crafted attempt at you know at branding or an image. Maybe he's just a very private person, or a shy kid. Yeah, perhaps. I don't know. I don't know. Yeah, I'm glad he's coming to Duke because we haven't had a real point guard in a while. We've and had by a Humble. while you mean two years. Well, since Tyus, two years. It feels like a long while, doesn't it? Okay, so let we're we're point guard you, but over the last ten years, you think we're point guard you? Well, at some point, you know, Bobby Hurley, Wojciechowski, Wojciechowski. Yeah, like when when I well when I was going to college, it just felt like we always had this traditional point guard, right? Jason Williams. A little bit score first, lead guard, but we had a string of pretty outstanding point guards for a while. Will Avery was a great point guard for us. Yeah. Uh, Chris Duhon after that, after Jason Williams. During uh, during Jason Williams. Yeah, during and after, and then Sean Dockery. Uh, yeah, he was a top point guard recruit. It's like, at some, and then we, you know, Recently, I've just like this last year. I was like, "Who's the point guard? We don't have a point guard." Frank Jackson turns out not a, not not a real, you know, pass first point guard. Derek Thornton, I guess, kind of. He also wasn't a pass first point guard. Yeah, Tyus certainly was. That's a great point. But without Trey Duval coming, I don't know what we would have done next year. It would have been the Grayson Allen show again, like you know. Having to run the offense with the ball in his hands a lot, and I like I, I like that he's off the ball now. Yeah, really like it. I, I'm tired of talking about it. I'm tired of talking about how we need a point guard, and I'm glad this guy's coming, even if it's just for one year. And uh, I'm glad we recruited this other kid, Jordan Goldwater. <laughs> he's a true point guard. I actually I I also read that uh, Tyus Jones' brother is uh, in the recruiting process, and he's the next one. Yeah, I'm surprised I didn't see his name in some of the rankings, but uh, I mean, I think he's supposed to be pretty, pretty up there. I think I think he's going to wind up being in the next few years top five. And is, is, is I think, it, is I, think it next he's, year? I think it's the following year. Twenty eighteen. I think we're supposed to be deeply in the running. Yeah, uh, which would make sense, but a lot of times brother combos don't go to the same school. Think of uh, Cape, the Capel brothers. <laughs> His younger brother, I bet everybody thought we were going to grab him, and he ends up going to UNC. I mean, we were never really in the running. I don't think he wanted to do exactly what his brother did. Yeah. Um, so we'll see. We'll see. Yeah. Uh, I think the, the the Ball brothers are all headed to UCLA. I don't want any part of the balls. <laughs> we don't need any balls. Um, so Frank Jackson's gone. Trayvon Duvall is here. And... Mobamba went to Texas mm-hmm. for uh, for Shaka Smart, right? Yep. And um, as did uh, Matt Coleman, the top thirty or forty point guard who we lost out on in the like, yeah. November December. Yeah, Texas is going to be pretty pretty interesting to Hopefully. watch next year. Yeah, I mean, I'm pulling for Shaka Smart. I really like him. Yeah, me too. Um, so where does that leave us? Where does that leave us? Uh, we had ended up with a deep, big recruiting class. We pulled uh, Jordan Tucker at the last minute. Trayvon Duvall is the, kind of a, the last addition, but kind of, kind of the anchor in terms of who's going to be running the show. Maybe the most pivotal piece. It feels that way to me. Yeah. Uh, and we go from feeling like the cupboard's going to be bare 
Mm, I wouldn't agree with that if, there if is, he didn't come. I, well, I still think we'd be like top 10, top 15 team. I mean, without him and Tucker, it'd be like, all right, we got we got Grayson Allen coming back, and then we got a couple of, of really big recruits, and then who's going to fill in the rest of the, the time? Now, now we have five, arguably five studs at each starting position. Uh, if Gary Trent and Grayson Allen both start alongside uh, Duvall. Who do, you, who do you think Coach K starts? I think he starts uh, Trayvon Duvall at the one. Grayson Allen and Gary Trent playing two two and three interchangeably. Uh-huh. And um, Wendell Carter and uh, Bolden four, at the four and five. Okay. And, uh, and then I think it's, you know, it'd be interesting to see if Tucker... Can contribute right away as a as a you know spot up shooter. Apparently, he has a beautiful shot. It's a really silky shot. Yeah, he reminds me a little of um, you know like a taller, more thinly built kind of like an Andre Dawkins type. Where that's going to be his he's going to be a, a, a role player on this team. So that's all he's going to do is shoot from the outside. I think he's going to be he's not like, like a, a like he's a, not like a stretch four. He's not like a poor man's. Brandon Ingram, Jason Tatum, poor man's. I mean, you know, He's, Jab- he doesn't Jabari have Carter. that much that that kind of length. He doesn't Versatility. have that, that kind of athleticism. At least as a freshman, like, what could his role be on next year's team? I think, you know, I think he's a shooter and, uh, you know, mid range yeah. and an outside shooter. I mean, he's the only reason I, I ask think is could, because he's listed as a small forward, which yeah. to, to me would indicate he's not just a outside perimeter shooting person. That's not the only thing that he does. I feel like. He should be able to slash and play inside as well. And I think he has a good mid-range, you know, mid-range jump shot, and I don't, I don't know if he's going to be able to finish at the rim uh, as a freshman. But yeah. you know, he, he looks like a, an offensive player with you know basketball intelligence. To me. Okay. And then we got the whole you know the whole returning crew, which is uh, Jack White from Australia. Maybe he can <laughs> contribute. We got yeah. another freshman. Uh, Alex O'Connell? McConnell. McConnell. Alex McConnell. Alex Ooh. McConnell. He's apparently can in. play. He's a yeah. four-star four guy. Like four-star guy? Top 80-85 recruit. Yeah. I mean, one of these days, one of these, one Talk, of those guys. Talks a gonna, lot of smack. Yeah. Uh, apparently in games. Bring it. Bring it. We could use somebody to step up from that level. Obviously, you know, Vrankovic is there. We got, uh, who else we got, dude? Kevin Delorier. Delorier. Delorier is the guy I want to see. Uh, I mean, I would I would love it if Delorier he can step up next year. Delorier become... probably finishes freshman year with the highest field goal percentage in the history of Duke basketball. Just dunks. I think it was like nine for eleven, something like that. Yeah, I mean, I hope they can get him ready to be to be a difference maker on defense. Yeah, and, you know, I don't see why not. Let me let me ask you one other question uh, to think about. Um, I actually think it's very likely that Coach K doesn't start two bigs. Yeah. Like, I think he's going to choose Wendell Carter or Marquise Bolden. My my guess is he would probably go with Carter and bring Bolden off the bench and go with Trey DeBall, Grayson Allen, Gary Trent Jr., and then um, Jordan Tucker, if he's that... If he's if he actually is that versatile stretch four, I think you're asking a lot of Jordan Tucker as a freshman. He's a yeah. guy who, but if he's if he's not if he's not that versatile and he's simply just a spot up outside shooter, then I can I can see going with the two bigs. But um, is that is that a fair 
question like does Coach K so Bolden Bolden's a guy who was a projected lottery pick last year one and done he's a guy with a lot of talent yeah. I mean the way he moves on the defensive end he's a, he can be a difference maker and we haven't seen it on the offensive end but we have enough we have enough primary threats on offense that the yeah. need the need for Tucker in the starting lineup if, if that's what he is like a shooting threat well we have three other guys that can shoot in the lineup right and by the way Wendell Carter Wendell Carter. Whatever, dude. Wendell Carter. Please don't bring up your sister <laughs> ever again. Wendell Carter uh, also has an outside shot. You know, he's in yeah. threes at the, at the yeah. high school level. So if you're looking to space the floor, you know, Wendell Carter can help you do that. And Bolden can be the down low guy. Now, does that mean Bolden and Carter are going to play all their minutes together? Absolutely not. They, they should always have one of them in the game. They probably sub out Bolden quickly or Carter quickly, bring in... You know, start bringing in the bench. Ideally, we're playing seven or eight, nine guys next year. I mean, I'm not going to hold my breath. Yeah. But, uh, but in terms of being a rim protector, Bolden's that guy. And we don't have another one of those. I mean, Carter can be that guy too somewhat. We'll see. Right. But we know Bolden's that guy, and he's got experience. Well, we don't know. That. I mean, we don't know. You're that. basically telling me he's going to start four freshmen in Grayson Island, potentially. Um, I think Bolden's coming back, and he's going to start. And I think he's going to be good. Yeah. Okay. I think he's going to be one of the more I mean, athletic big men. I don't. I don't disagree with you. Yeah. I, I wish he had done that his freshman year and his learning curve that he was already at a certain point on his learning curve. You got to remember, but he's not. And 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 to yeah. to to your argument that we ha- we already have so many scores, we don't need another score on the floor. I can make that argument that our team, as constituted this past year, 2016, 2017 also had plenty of scores. We didn't need that fourth score on the floor, but Coach K likes the fourth scorer on the floor. He he loves scoring. Well, he he doesn't value the big guys enough. So that's that's why I'm asking, do you really think it's plausible that he would start these two two traditional big guys? Which when's the last time he did that? Well, two things. One, when's the last time he did that? Um you know, I guess the, the last time he did it was Brian Zubek and Lance Thomas. Uh, those are sort of okay. something yeah. similar to two traditional big guys. Lance Thomas obviously could, could guard multiple positions. Yeah. Thomas I see more of but, as like a... But it wasn't like yeah. Thomas was playing on the perimeter. He wasn't stre- stretching the floor offensively, like he does. Offensively, he was just hiding. <laughs> well, yeah. Yeah, he I wasn't mean, he doing could, a lot. He wasn't. He, he was service, serviceable, but... Sure, but well, there's a big difference between this year's roster, this coming year's roster, and last year's roster. And the big difference is Jason Tatum. Jason Tatum is exactly that stretch four you're talking about where he could do everything. Right. He could do everything Coach K wanted him to do, and you could have it all, right? You could have your cake and eat it too with Jason Tatum because he could block shots, he could cause problems Up in the interior, time. everything on defense. And on offense, he could go in or out, but right? That, that, that was a, he was a critical piece that was like continuous, right? Brandon Ingram, Justice Winslow, Jabari Parker, like yeah. these are all like big stretch fours. That's we don't why, have that. This yeah, year. that's why I thought that Kevin Knox, year. Kevin Knox going to Kentucky was so devastating. Well, you know, I don't think it, I don't think it's going to wind up being devastating. I think I think it's fine to have two bigs, yeah. especially when one of them, Wendell Carter, gets you know can can go outside and knock the, down a jump shot. The kids rave about him. Yeah, like the the few interviews that I've read about, they all say this guy's. Fantastic. He's supposed to be fantastic. Okay. And he's versatile and, and talented enough that 
he should be able to play alongside Bolden. If you had two low post guys, that might that would be a, might be an issue. Right. But um, and you know when Bolden comes out, and I don't anticipate Bolden playing thirty five minutes a game, so he might play less minutes, and Carter gets to slide to the five at that point. And I just don't think we have like a stretch four this year. We don't have a guy yeah, like the ones you mentioned. Yeah, so, we don't. So it's it's not it's not as big of an option. And then the other thing to remember when we're like looking back at last year and what Bolden did not accomplish is that he missed most of the preseason and the first month of the season with an injury. And, you know, it was one of those things that we, we talked about a lot at the beginning of the year, but then sort of forgot about at the end of the year when we were critical of of how the team ended up developing is that they didn't really have a chance to gel. And... Um, you know, there's a reason Coach K wasn't super comfortable playing some of those guys as much. Uh, you know, if they if they weren't ready to just fly, you know, he hadn't seen them enough in practice in, in terms of like building his core unit early because they were injured. With Giles and Bolden, I'm talking about. So this year, Bolden has a full summer, a full fall, hopefully. You know, no recurring injuries and uh, the experience of uh, having learned some lessons last year. I, so I think like, I think yeah. he's gonna start. I mean, if if yeah. I hope he starts, I hope both he and Carter start. Um, but based on Coach K's past tendencies, it wouldn't shock me if if one of them came off the bench. I'll tell you what, and and I feel like Bolden, especially in the in the minutes that he gets, because he might have only had like one or two games where he played over twenty minutes this past season. Mm-hmm. I think he's gonna struggle with foul trouble because he's just not used to. Well, that could be the physicality, I mean, he, or the pace of the game. Well, that could be. He might struggle with foul trouble. Yeah. Like that's a different issue, right? Right. If, if Bolden isn't starting next year, it's going to be a catastrophe for him. It's going to be <laughs> something has gone terribly wrong. And if he doesn't start, my guess is he transfers by Christmas. And I think they're going to start him. I think he's going to be good. I think everything's going to be okay. But I don't know if they don't start him. I don't know what happened. You know, Jack White all of a sudden grew a couple of inches, and he's going to fill that stretch four. No, or I, maybe I, Tucker I, ends I, up being think, way better I, than I people Jordan, expect. I think Jordan Tucker would yeah. would be in the starting lineup. I also read that. Um, I think there's a good chance Tucker doesn't even play significant minutes next year, and some of these other more experienced bench guys are filling that role. And Tucker's going to be a guy we we I, hear more from later later in his his career. I disagree. I mean, I so, hope he. Hope so let's say case. we take Tucker out of the equation. You got. Trey Grayson, Gary Trent Jr., and then the two bigs. Like, yeah, who's who's coming off the bench? If you if you take there's a hodgepodge Tucker of guys out. from various recruiting classes they're, the last couple of years. I don't think there's maybe some of them are ready. Feel comfortable with. He's gonna have to. I mean that's that's what I like about this year. We got we basically have five guys who were McDonald's All American type guys. And what then we mean, have. What do you mean, type guys? They are McDonald's All Americans. Yeah, they're, they're the best of the best. Coach K gets the best of the best. Five guys. We got. <laughs> we got Grayson Allen, Trayvon Duvall, Gary Trent Jr., Wendell Carter, and Bolden. They're all guys that have been projected as first round picks in the draft. And then we have five other guys, who basically nobody's ever heard of. Yeah. And they don't have that kind of credibility, and they they're gonna have to earn it. And, but there's an opportunity for each of them. They all can feel it and see it. And they're going to spend all summer and fall working to get fill those roles. And okay. most of those guys last yep. year knew they had no chance to play. 
and it must have been discouraging. This year, Javon Delorier's got to have like stars in his eyes. Jack White's got to feel the opportunity. Like they don't, they're not one. They don't get displaced by Jordan Tucker. Who's Jordan Tucker? That's what I mean. Like I think there's a better chance those guys step up and and outcompete, you know, that freshman in McConnell than than this freshman comes in sort of unheralded and displaces Bolden from the starting lineup. But I could okay. be wrong. It's gonna be yeah. interesting to see. Yeah. Okay. I actually disagree. I don't think that opportunity is there. I feel like Coach K, Coach K shuts the door. Sort, on sort of already. envisions like who who he thinks can contribute and who he trusts, and it's it's not a complete and open you know meritocracy. I also did want to say real briefly. Yeah. I I read that uh, a lot of Marquise Bolden's struggles in the spring was because he was super homesick, for whatever okay. that's worth. Like, well, that's interesting. could be I true, could that. not be true, but I read that in a few few places. Okay. So that's interesting. Thankfully, he didn't transfer to be closer to home. Yeah. Well, I hope I hope his sophomore year is is, is everything it should be, because uh, I, I I like I like I like his athleticism. I like some of the moments. He he almost single handedly turned around. Him and Matt Jones turned around that Miami Come home game on, in the just, second half. Just, that was that was incredible. I'd and be his, happy to rewatch that game with you, and you'll probably won't come I'm, to that same conclusion I'm afterwards. looking forward to watching him play pick and roll defense uh, you know but defense year. wasn't that that good you watch this year okay let's move on let's move on let's sure move on. Um, so we talked about recruiting we talked about Frank Jackson uh, we were gonna maybe get into the NBA draft a little do you wanna sure do you wanna uh, we already kinda talked about Frank do you wanna maybe we'll save this for next week or a couple weeks from now, we'll do a pre-draft thing. The draft's at the end of June, so we have a month. No, come um, on. There's there's a lot of good stuff. All right, let's talk about it. Let's. Uh, well, we don't have to spend forever on it, but just okay. Yeah, let's just touch on where where the guys are at. Uh, sure. I, I googled Emil Jefferson <laughs> yesterday. I couldn't find any real news articles about his draft <laughs> prospects, and I saw he was on the alternate list for the draft combine. Um, in terms of, you know, and I, I felt a little sad about that. Um, Emil, I don't think, is is going to get drafted. Pretty confident. Who knows? But, um, I, you know, he's, he's obviously facing a challenge. He's got to work on his game. He's got to get healthy, of course. I guess maybe that's why he wasn't invited to the draft combine. I think there's a good chance he'll, he'll find a way onto a team. Well, I think it's just going to be a different road. It's going to be non-traditional. Uh, sure. You mean sort of like Lance Thomas? Yeah. D-League, yeah. Yeah, you know, like 10-day contracts. You know, he's He's got to do everything that other people don't want to do. He's going to spend a year or two getting healthy, getting different kind of basketball experience, and working on his game in order to make the NBA or have a great professional career somewhere else. Um, so I just wanted to mention Emil because we haven't talked about Emil in the draft. Obviously, okay. he's like, you know, not in a great position to... You know, to, to be a, a, he definitely a won't get drafted. Yeah, pretty pretty much. Did you Google Matt Jones's prospects also? Um, I haven't seen much about Matt Jones either, but Matt okay. Jones apparently played really well in the Chicago pre-draft camp. Okay. Um, and even if there's not much of a chance of him being a second rounder, and I think there there may be an outside chance, uh, you know, he'll definitely get a look in an NBA summer league. People will get to see him play a little bit. And uh, I think the same thing's true. He's going to probably have to take a non-traditional route to the NBA if he's ever going to get there. He also, I wouldn't, I wouldn't be that shocked if he is in the league 
He's got an NBA skill potentially, just perimeter defense. Yeah, um, with with a somewhat okay shot from yeah. the outside if he's wide open. He, yeah, he yeah, might he, be. I could see too, him. He might be just a tad too slow, too unathletic at the next level. His release isn't lightning quick. And, yeah, um, and it's not traditional either. Yes, that's true. Um, so yeah, I don't have high hopes for either in terms of like, you know, becoming NBA stars, but. You never know. I'm rooting for them. Uh, I, I, we'll leave it at that. Okay. I don't think we're going to talk about them in the draft uh, too much. Although, look what happened with Marshall Plumley. Um, oh, yeah, I did want to mention two, two things real quick. One, I went back and looked, and I was surprised at how high a recruit Marshall Plumley was. Top 30 or 40? Yeah, he was. Uh, he was higher than top 30. He was in the top 30. Okay, well, he's, uh, he's, a, he's a true seven-footer Yes. who's athletic. Yeah. Just like his brothers, and and I feel like even though he's the worst Plumley, the first two were so good slash athletic slash talented slash yeah. NBA potential that there's a carryover effect to Marshall, which might be unfair to him. I just remember thinking when he got there, ooh, this one doesn't really have a shot. And I saw one I high school speak- game with him, and he was terrible. <laughs> yeah, he didn't he have much terrible. of a game. I mean, yeah, it was, was amazing terrible. how well he did by the time he was a senior, and then. Getting the contract with the Knicks, like that's the most. That's the not the most flabbergasting. <clears throat> this is very it's surprising. Surprising, you know. I thought Shav Randolph was pretty surprising, also. Yeah, and then uh, the other thing I wanted to mention that we touched on last week was Tyler Thornton. We talked about Jordan Goldwire being a little Tyler Thornton esque potentially. Yeah, Tyler Thornton was a top fifty, top sixty recruit. Five zero. Like no, no, he was like a he was a top fifty, top sixty. He was like a four star recruit or like upper three star. He wasn't top he was 50 top or 60 point guards. <laughs> You're talking out of all the recruits in his year? Yeah, yeah, okay. yeah. Yeah, okay. that's right. Tyler Thornton was more highly regarded than, than, I, than I knew. Okay. Um, it just That's me being ignorant of, of... Yeah, I mean, like, we didn't really follow recruiting. I wasn't following it as closely. closely so, yeah, it was, it was after we left Duke and uh, I was out in the, the, the workplace doing things and getting married and all that stuff. Uh, so... Yeah, shout out to Tyler Thornton. Not as much of a recruiting runt as I thought. Jordan Gold Goldwire is much much more an underdog story. I feel is Tyler Thornton on the coaching staff at Marquette? Is that I'd have to Google it. You okay. want me to Google it? No, no. <laughs> Don't ever Google anything during the podcast. All no. right, let, let's go on to uh, the let's draft. Talk about the guys that are actually going to yeah, draft the draft. Yep. So let me ask you this question. So it, they have the lottery. Yeah, there's the lottery. Three three of the most Probably the the three most storied franchises in the NBA get the top three picks: Boston, the Lakers, Lakers and the Philly. Same Philly. three as last year's top three. Really? Yeah. Last year the oh, Boston, the 76ers took Ben Simmons, uh, the Lakers took Brandon Ingram, and uh, the Celtics took Jalen Brown. Okay, third. So uh, conventional wisdom says Same, they just they flipped the order this year of the top three. Yep. Yeah, I, I agree. Conventional wisdom has Markel Fultz. Going to Boston at one. Yep. Lonzo Ball going to the Lakers at number two. Yep. F- Philadelphia 76ers. And Your team yep. is on the clock. You are the GM. Who do you take at three? I think I try to trade down a couple of slots. In the hopes of doing what? Besides getting additional picks or assets. I like Dennis Smith. Dennis Smith? I like Dennis Smith. I think he's going to be a killer guard in the NBA. Dennis Smith? Smith, another guy coming off an injury last year. 
Dennis Smith, who made, I think, a little bit of a mistake going to NC State. And that team kind of fizzled at the end. I don't think it was Dennis Smith's fault. Fizzled or quit? Remember, remember how he beat our asses in Cameron early in the ACC yeah. season? And it, just, it looked fantastic. It looked fantastic. He looked a little pudgy. Some people are knocking his defense. Some people are knocking his leadership. But it's tough to say because it's like tough to say on that, that team, season, the that season team. just totally imploded. Like, yeah. how can you just? But he was the best player. People knock on Ben that Simmons team. for the same thing. People are knocking Marco, Marco Fultz, Fultz for only for winning nine stuff. games. Fultz didn't even try on defense because why would he? Right? Like, it, it's like so. There's there's that right? right? They're young. They're young, talented players okay. who are all somewhat undisciplined. Okay. But let's say you fail in your attempts to trade down and target yeah, yeah. Dennis Smith. Who would you take at number three if you had? So to there's pick? a couple of arguments for for the Sixers. One is they sh- they should draft what they need, and they need they need perimeter players, they need shooters, and they could use. So they're thinking about Malik Monk maybe, but it's a reach. It's a little bit of a reach. Yeah, Malik Monk's being portrayed as a as sort of a one skill or like a. You know, one-dimensional player, shooters, shooter score, but you know, not a great defensive player, not a great distributor, doesn't finish at the rim. He's a pretty good athlete, isn't he? I think he's a fantastic athlete, and uh, I think maybe he's being like unfairly typecast. Okay. Um, essentially, they're calling him Lou Williams. You know, that's what they're calling. All Lou him. Williams does is shoot. Yeah, Lou Williams is a a bit of a one-dimensional. It's just a score, right? But he's a valuable scorer. Okay. That's a valuable skill. Um, you know, the other uh, the other way to go would be uh, like a Josh Jackson. Uh, I think Josh Josh Jackson is probably you know probably widely considered the third pick in this draft yes. by most. Yes, uh, because he's got just incredible athletic potential, and he has you know can defend. Uh, his shot though is uh, is suspect. Yes, he shot dec- at a decent percentage this he shot, year. He shot over forty. He shot over forty percent, I believe, from three. But he shot something like fifty-eight percent from the free throw line. Yeah, no, I think yeah, um, there was a disconnect there. He got hot at the end of the year from from three, I guess, and up the percentage. But so it was like high thirties. I mean, I have an issue with Josh Jackson on the character front. Um, right. You know, we talked about how he was a little douchey in that game against us. Yeah. And yep. then he had that issue with the hit car and run. Car vandalism. And threatening to being in beat bars. Up somebody's girlfriend. Yeah. One of the other players or football players' girlfriend. It was a really weird, weird series of stories about him. Um, I kind of like, uh, I kind of like Isaac from Florida State. Jonathan Isaac. Yeah. I kind of like him, although he's a big, he's a tall guy. He, he just seems like an incredible defensive player and, you know, has a great shot, great athleticism as a slasher. Yeah. Um, you know, the Sixers kind of shouldn't draft a big guy, though, unless they make a trade. Uh, they would they would love to have drafted Fultz. And I think Ball would actually be a pretty good fit. Um, but uh, I, th- I think, you know, they're going to go with one of these perimeter players. I think they, they, they might try to – I think they're hoping Ball or – all fall in three. Impossible. Yeah, I don't know. I mean, um, supposedly, you, know, you just never know. What about Josh D- Jackson comes into a workout. Magic Johnson loves him. What about De'Aaron Fox? De'Aaron Fox is the one guy I don't think they can they can they can draft because he just can't shoot. And and they're in desperate need of outside shooting. Basically, they have Ben Simmons, who's a great passer, who kind of can't shoot. They have um, 
I mean, I know they sort of want him to bring up the ball, but is that going to be consistent? Like every possession, every game, is is he really going to be the ball handler? It's a matter of usage. It's a matter of being like, there's a lot of possessions are going to run through Ben Simmons because he's going to be a, a creating penetrator and a, just a great guy, you know, great dime dime guy. He's just going to be opening up spots for teammates, and you want is for guys to be able to hit shots when he passes them the ball. Uh, you also want other good passers. But aren't there aren't there dozens of elite outside perimeter shooters that you can just sign if that's all you need? It's really hard in the NBA today to get these these uh, perimeter. Like Kyle Korver, Mike Dunleavy, all these guys can be had. No premium premium the like guys that can shoot and defend. Yeah, come at a premium in today's NBA. Okay. Um, so if that's what they need, then like what's special Malik about Monk? Would. What's special about Golden State? Golden State has just. Bunch of guys that can shoot and defend. You know, they have they have two of the best shooters in NBA history on, you know, in the same on the same team, Clay Thompson and Curry, and then they have Durant too, who's an incredible shooter now. I don't I, I and then Draymond's a I don't pretty know great three point shooter. Clay is one of the best in history. I think Steph is statistically he is disagree. Is, is, but also, Cur- Curry is not. <laughs> Curry is a horrific defender. Curry's a horrific defender, but they have Draymond Green as this unbelievable all-world, Def- like shape-shifting defender that can move. He's like the queen in chess on defense. On and defense, then they yes. have Andre Iguodala, and they have all these other. They can compensate for the Steph Curry problem. And if Malik Monk turns out to be a weak defender, guess what? Joel Embiid sitting back there, provided he's healthy, and. Too bad you guys don't also have Nerlens Noel instead of the Doughboy. We don't Jolie, need Nerlens Noel. We got Rashawn Holmes. But I don't want to make this a Sixers podcast. All right. Um, so I, I, one thing I don't think they're going to do is take Jason Tatum. Yeah, I was going to ask you. You didn't mention Jason Tatum is not a possibility there. I don't think so. I think he's too too ball dominant, and I really think this was the problem with Duke this year. One of the big issues was we had A, B, or C ball dominant players: Grayson Allen, Luke Kennard, Jason Tatum. They all sort of needed the ball in their hands to create offense. Kennard was the best of the three at coming off screens and just being a catch and shooter. Yeah. But um, but basically we had overlapping skills, and that's that's you don't want that. You know, in the NBA, you already have Joel Embiid and Ben Simmons who are both going to need the ball in their hands a lot. Uh, I don't think you need Jason Tatum doing the same kind of stuff. I think you know he has not proven a depth at playing off the ball. I wish I wish he had been better at that this year. I think it would have helped the team. Um, and while he was super athletic on the college level, people are expressing doubts about his athleticism, his Who, foot, Tatum? foot speed. Tatum. Tatum? Yeah. His foot speed on the NBA level. Well, he never... I mean, obviously, he's a very good athlete. He never struck me as like a like a wow athlete. You know, yeah, like Gerald, mean, Gerald Henderson in college would do things and you'd be like, wow, this guy... Yeah, he failed to finish. He felt like Jason Tatum wasn't finishing consistently yeah. at the college level. Like that one time Could be a the problem game, I brought it up, and then you guys all just bashed me. Well, you know, <laughs> was was it the injury? Like, did he lose a step? Is he going to be even more? You know. Well, let me let me just let me just throw a little. Um, so yeah, I think Malik Monk might might end up being the guy. I don't know. Let me do some irresponsible gossiping. Sure. Um, I have heard from a few places that. Brad Stevens and the Celtics love Duke guys. Um, it, it, I don't know if you remember a couple of years ago they tried they tried like crazy to trade up to get Justice Winslow, 
they they were offering a bunch uh, of their like uh, late first said. round picks. That's what they said, but but no nobody would. would the problem with Danny Ainge is nobody ever knows if he's telling the truth. He like hints okay. at things, leaks things, and a lot of times they're just BS. Okay. Supposedly he was hot for Okafor, but he could have had him for a very very cheap price. You can still have him for a very cheap. Can, price. I mean, even cheaper now. <laughs> Uh, the Sixers have the third pick. The Celtics have the first pick. Yeah, they could offer, in order to flip, like they can't say Okafor in a third for the first. Zero chance. It'd be like Okafor next year's Lakers number one and this pick. Yeah, but it might first. not be Ainge who's high yeah. on the two guys. It could be Brad Stevens who's high on the two guys. Could be like um, Markel Fultz to the Celtics at the one slot might not be a done deal. Like the Celtics might trade down. Yes. And get, Get Tatum, very possibly. You know, sure. I mean, they already have Isaiah I, I, Thomas, I Avery Tatum, Badley. I mean, can you Marcus imagine Smart. Tatum in that lineup instead of like uh, who's who's their power forward? That well, the Celtics. It's Amir, interesting. Amir Johnson. Like, imagine Tatum is in there instead of Amir Johnson. Sure. The Celtics need a ball dominant scorer. They need someone that can create their own offense. Like, I can see them needing Jason Tatum. But, but guess what? Fultz is like that too. But yeah. they're pretty stacked at the guard position already. Super stacked. Super stacked. A lot of point but, guards in the wings, also. Ter- yeah, Terry they got Rogier, decisions. They got decisions. To, smart. Yeah, they got decisions to make on Avery Bradley and Isaiah Thomas coming up. Yeah. And look, they beat the Cavs tonight without Isaiah Thomas in the lineup, and I don't think it was, you know, coincidence really. Uh, they're just a much, 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 much better defensive team and balanced team without him. Yeah, and Isaiah Thomas also like Steph Curry, very prolific scorer slash terrible defender. Yeah, and, it, and it's not from a lack of effort. You know, it's just he's, no, he's no, five no. foot eight. You know, he's trying his hardest, but he does great he's, for his size. He's, no doubt, he's gonna be bad. Sure. Yeah, it's like every basketball team is a delicate balance, and uh, you know, there's 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 not I'm not knocking Jason Tatum. The Celtics, he might be the most useful player to the Celtics. Maybe he should be drafted number one if they keep the pick. Who knows, right? Right. But for the Sixers, I don't think they need that. And for a lot of these teams, they don't. Like Timberwolves, I don't think, need Jason Tatum. Yeah. You know, they have enough. They have a couple of primary scorers. I just really, really hope Jason Tatum doesn't go to Sacramento at the fifth pick. Seems like a dysfunctional place. Well, they got two top ten picks. They don't have their pick next year. That's going to the 76ers. But... Or oh, they have their pick next year, not the year after. That's going to the Sixers. They have the 2018 pick. Okay. But um, you know, Sacramento's got some young players. Uh, you know, I agree. It's a bit of a dumpster fire. Uh, so his most landing, his most likely landing spots probably going to be Phoenix at four or Orlando six. Yeah, I think I think he's going to go in the four, five, six range. Um, if he falls to the Knicks, I think the Knicks would eat him up, snap him up. Yeah, because if Orlando doesn't take him at six, Minnesota doesn't really need a guy like that. You know, it's really going to depend on his. All the, a lot of this depends on the workouts. I think. Um, I can I can see Tatum falling, you know, because he, he doesn't seem to fit the modern NBA game as well. If he's not knocking down NBA threes in these workouts, I, I can see him falling. Yeah. Uh, I mean, I, rem- I, rem- I remember reading an article about him mid-season where they described his game as an old man's game. Yeah, I mean, so let me ask you. Are we going to do our predictions on this one? Or we'll, predictions about what? About uh, what we think these guys are going to do in the NBA. We'll go on record. I mean, we can. We, we, 
let's touch real briefly on the other two guys. Okay. Kennard and Giles. I mean, these guys are all over the map. Yeah. I've, I've literally seen Kennard and Giles go 12 and 14. I couldn't believe it. I saw Kennard I as, could not as high believe as 12. It. Couldn't believe it. By the way, I'd love have, it. Have they not seen this guy but... play defense? <laughs> well... There's, there's, there's moments when Kennard makes a I'm heady, shorting, heady play on I'm defense. I'm shorting Luke Kennard. Hands. I'm going on the record. <laughs> I'm shorting Luke Kennard. I'll take Frank Jackson's NBA career over Luke Kennard's. I might even take Grayson Allen's NBA career over Luke Kennard's. Grayson's a better athlete. There's no doubt about it. But uh, Kennard's a dead-eye shooter with good ball skills and can pass. Has size. So I think that's the reason you're seeing Kennard float up into the lottery in a few mocks. Yeah. And uh, I don't think he's dropping below 20 because teams need shooting. They need shooting. But like you said, they need shooting and defense. Yeah, but the right team drafts him in the right spot. They have rim protectors. You know, okay. there's defensive schemes in the NBA nowadays. You can Harry play more zone Harry defense. Harry Jones could be a rim protector. Harry Giles is a, a perfect draft pick for a team that doesn't need help right now. Yeah, you know, and that's it's a it's very uh, it's a it's a it's a move that a, that a GM could see as like pure upside because once you get down to fifteen to twenty in the draft, very few of these guys end up being even starters in the NBA, much less stars. And Harry Giles is a lottery ticket. Could be. Well, he is. That's what he is. He's a lottery ticket. Yeah, he um, and he, so you're not going to get killed if he doesn't pan out because right. you knew you were taking the risk. Yeah, and it's a ballsy pick, right? But if you're the if you're the Spurs, you draft, you know, you might draft Harry Giles because he he could be the anchor of your future. Like he could really be a star. Yeah, I don't I, think he will. I mean, I think my memory is a little <laughs> bit foggy, but he might have had the one of the biggest hands in the draft combine. His uh, wingspan is seven foot. Three seven foot four, but his vertical is supremely disappointing, and I don't know if that's still a function of his his two knees. I thought I saw his vertical wasn't that bad. I heard it was. I think it was pretty bad. Yeah, but, it may uh, have to do with that. But yeah, I mean, for both Kennard and Giles, you know, they could go in the mid teens. They could go, you know, late twenties, and anywhere. You're right. He had a bad vertical. I just uh, looked it up. I did the thing you didn't want me to do. I googled something. I feel like you talked about Harry Giles. Now we got, now we got, <laughs> got some dirty audio. Now the uh, <laughs> now commercials we know are going to go off. Well, yeah, I guess he had a disappointing uh, vertical, but the thing is, he I think his draft position is going to be determined by doctors. Like he's going to have to submit to medical reviews from all these teams, okay. and if somebody, you know, they get the right reports, he's going to go higher than expected. If they get the wrong reports. He, he could end up slipping out of the first round. Uh, I still think I, I think someone's yeah. going to draft him late in the first round. One of these good teams, right? Like they can afford. They don't need the roster spot. They don't need a contributor right away. And he ends up potentially being like a difference maker down the road. Okay. Because none of these guys really contribute for a couple of years to a winner, anyways. Like how many how many how many rookies are are playing meaningful minutes right now in the playoffs or even the last round? Yeah, it's hard to even name it. Yeah, I mean, not even that. I, I mean, I think I heard, um, I heard recently that the highest scoring rookie averaged like ten and a half points a game. Well, the highest scoring rookie was uh, Joel well, Embiid, not, not who Joel averaged Embiid. twenty points a game. 
and Dario Saric. Both of these guys are kind of special cases because yeah. Embiid a couple they were years. drafted a few years back. Yeah, and Dario Saric, Saric also. too played a lot of international ball. He's a different kind of rookie. And second half of the season, he was he was scoring fifteen or twenty a game. But first half, he didn't he didn't score as much. He didn't play as well. Malcolm Brogdon sort of had the scored ten and a half a game and like outside chance at rookie of the year. Yeah, Buddy Hield also right. Buddy Hield. Had some had some games down the stretch. Yeah, he, he scored some points, and uh, you know the kid from uh, Kentucky, the the shooter, uh, Jamal Murray, Jamal Denver. Murray of Denver. Yeah, he, okay. he had a decent rookie year, but but very few of these guys. I mean, Brogdon played some meaningful playoff minutes. Yeah. Uh, Sabonis on Oklahoma City played some meaningful playoff minutes. In- uh, Ingram was under ten points a game. Ingram. Yeah, in- everybody knew Ingram wasn't going to be ready to, to really be a, a good NBA player. He's just so thin, so young. The Lakers seem so protective of him. Like, I, I, he, he I played, always hear... He I played always a lot that. of minutes and just didn't, oh, he didn't get any usage. Not, he didn't give him a lot of shots. Yeah, not necessarily yeah. in that regard. It's just that the Lakers said, okay, we're willing to trade anyone. D'Angelo, Russell, Julius Randle, whoever. But Brandon Ingram, untouchable. Like that's what I mean when I say they're super gotcha. protective of him. Like, like him. And I'm like, is he that? Is he projected to be that great? In like your first three, four, year and years? second year stats in the NBA, they just don't matter anymore. Okay. Jalen Brown's by the way the guy playing the most meaningful minutes as a rookie in the playoffs. He's actually playing pretty well, but getting posterized by LeBron. Yeah, well, he's he's had he's had some moments himself. I mean, everybody gets posterized by LeBron. <laughs> uh. I saw Kelly Olynyk play really good defense on on LeBron for a couple of possessions uh, in the fourth quarter tonight on the, the comeback win, and uh, that guy serially underrated. Kelly Olynyk. Yeah, just because he's a white guy with a ponytail <laughs> or whatever, weird headband hairdo. Do you know who is underrated? Yeah. Even though he's very very, even though he's rated highly. Who's that? Brad Stevens. Yeah, Brad Stevens is the man. He is incredible. He's incredible. I can't argue with his accomplishments on every level so far. All right, so um, Kennard, we don't know where he's going to go, obviously, exactly. Uh, but, you know, I think he's probably going to go outside the lottery. I think he's going to go in the teens. And I think whoever drafts him is going to get a really good shooter. I think we know that. <laughs> and if they can cover up his warts, he, there's no reason he couldn't. I, I I think he can be a good NBA player. So I'm going to disagree with you that he's just, like I'm not shorting him. Okay. But I don't think he has a chance to be a, a real big star or anything. Um, and then Giles, we'll see where he goes. Frank Jackson, we talked about. I think he's going to go late first. Uh, I think worst case is early second. Yeah, I mean I could see him in the D League or or whatnot for a few years. Yeah. Trying to just get better. And uh, it'll be interesting to see. I mean, uh, Okafor might get traded at draft time. You know, they're still, I'm sure, looking looking for uh, possibilities there. Uh, it's going to be an interesting draft for a lot of our recent al- alumnus. They're going to be impacted. Uh, a lot of these guys are on, on these lottery teams. Uh, I'm, I'm still sort of rooting for Minnesota to trade one of their point guards. I uh, hope you know, Ricky Rubio gets traded. Tyus Jones is going to get a look. But uh, even if he doesn't, I wonder. I wonder if he's going to generate some some interest on the restricted free agent market. Tyus Jones is better than Chris year. Dunn, right? Or was this Chris? Was this Chris Dunn's first year? This is Chris Dunn's rookie year. They drafted okay. him top five. So they're going to Tyus Jones is a late 
Chris Dunn is ahead of Tyus Jones on the depth chart. Uh, right. But Tyus Jones played pretty decent in some spot minutes this year. Yeah. I, w- I would love to see Tyus Jones traded so he could get an opportunity. Yeah, I don't know if he's going to get traded, but um, but Ricky Rubio very well might. Because he makes so much money, right? Uh, he makes a lot, and uh, he, I think he wanted to be traded at some point. I don't know if he still yeah. feels that way. Okay. They almost traded them for Derrick Rose. Uh, got the trade deadline. But Two didn't. toxic assets. Gosh, I don't think either of them are toxic, toxic. assets. But they're toxic. They're Derek both, Rose they're just disappeared for little, 36 hours. Yeah, they're both overrated. And the team was like, yeah, we don't know where he is. <laughs> yeah, sorry, guys. We don't know where Derek Rose is. All right. Yeah. Uh, That's pretty toxic to me. It was a weird thing, for sure. Speaking of toxic, let's talk about Phil Jackson. No, let's not. Let's move on to uh, the last big topic. We'll get to it. We'll do a quick treatment of it. We talked about uh, top ten Duke NBA players last last week. Oh yeah. Since we're talking about the draft, um, I think the only one we missed when we we sort of like hamfistedly went through, you know, who off the top of our head who might have been in the top ten, and I think the only one we missed was Luol Deng. Um, yeah. I think we missed him. It's a chance we mentioned him, but I never listen to these things, so who knows. And uh, you mean our own pod afterwards? Yeah. Okay. Do you ever listen? Yeah. Okay. Just to see how bad we are. I just make sure it's working. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> uh, yeah. I don't think we mentioned Dang. I didn't come to mind. You know, uh, he basically doesn't exist now that he's on the Lakers, but uh, he's had a good career. You know, he's had a long career. He had some good, really good years in Chicago. Contributed in Miami. Um, it was good. good he player. also he also fits into that stretch four mold that is. You know, like that's true. Well, so I don't think of Duke as like point guard. You, I think of us as like stretch like, for you, like these guys: Luol Deng, Jabari Parker, Justice Winslow, Brandon Ingram, Jason Tatum. Like those are the guys that I think think of. Well, here's the thing: when we talk about the best Duke players in the NBA, and Jason Williams and Bobby Hurley aren't on the list, potentially only because they they suffered horrific injuries. Johnny Dawkins, I think, is on the list, but would be higher if not for his on the NBA awful list? knee injuries. Yeah, Johnny Dawkins is, you know, certainly at least fringe top ten. Uh, you know, NBA career. Yeah, he was a starting point guard in the league. He averaged fifteen and seven, seven assists a game. Okay. Shot ninety percent from the free throw line. Uh, played on playoff teams. Started and played on playoff teams in Philadelphia with Charles Barkley and Mike Jaminski, by the way. Um, didn't last that long. Had a lot of knee problems. Missed, missed uh, almost all of his third season in the NBA with knee problems. He was drafted by the Spurs, and uh, then again with the Sixers, you know, badly injured his knee. Had a shortened career. Tear his ACL. You know, I don't remember. I don't. I, okay. didn't, I didn't look it up. But, uh, but my point is, Johnny Dawkins, Bobby Hurley, Jason Williams, all careers like pretty pretty well destroyed by injury. Jason Williams didn't have a great rookie season anyways, but I think he would have been pretty good. Uh, and he certainly would be on our list. Uh, Bobby Hurley, we'll never know either. Um, and then I just got to thinking, not just those three guys. So we're talking about, like, in retrospect, where we point guard you, those three guys having limited NBA careers hurts that perception for sure. Okay. And then um, just in terms of, like, why our top ten is feels weak, you know, Grant Hill also career career trajectory was hurt by the injury. 
Elton Brand, career trajectory, hurt by injuries. Uh, we talked about Rashawn McLeod earlier. His Almost the, never played, right? Never played. Yeah, he never never really played again, or he played a little bit farm. But, yeah. you know, not that he would have been a great NBA player, but it just feels like we've had a lot of these injuries. Uh, and then we turn to Harry Giles this year, and there's another guy who, you know, suffered an injury after basically committing to Duke, I think, right? And then... Um, you know, and then Bolden and Tatum this year. It just feels like we've run pretty bad. Um, Jabari Parker, <laughs> you know, was he's been in the league for three years. Two, two basically missed for almost all the two seasons missed for injury. Uh, so yeah, it just feels like it's not really Duke's fault that our list isn't a little stronger, <laughs> right? If we're you know, because you you made the comment to me like this is not that strong of a list really when you look at it, right? Once you hit seven, eight, nine, ten, yeah, um, and even the top six is not like, you know, but like Grant Hill could have been one of the the best fifteen ever? players in ever? NBA history. Maybe you know who knows. Uh, he was on that trajectory. Uh, he was. I mean, yeah, he was certainly loved. So we'll start at the top. Kyrie Irving and Grant Hill, top two. Well, Kyrie, I still think, is off the list, but his projected is... Off the top 10 list? Yeah. But his projected is very, very high. I don't think there's any chance he's off the top 10 list. I mean, won an NBA championship last year, scored multiple 30-point games. He's also only 25. Yeah. Played six seasons, I think. (laughs) Yeah, I mean, if, uh, if if his career was cut short by one of these... Devastating injuries, and by the way, he missed most of his Duke season with a yeah. with a foot injury. Uh, you know, a lot of foot injuries at Duke. Maybe we should check the floor there. I think they redid the floor right recently. A lot of foot injuries, man. Um, I, th- I think Kyrie would still probably make the top ten just based on what he accomplished the last couple of years. If his career were to end right now, I would take his career over Johnny Dawkins' career, for example. Yeah, but I di- I disagree that Johnny Dawkins would make the top ten. All right, give me your list because you you wrote one down. No, no, I just, I just wrote down uh, okay. total total points scored and where the ranking on the all-time list, and it's it's relatively unimpressive. Okay, that's pretty it, much it was, what, it's pretty much all the names we mentioned. Yeah, you know, so, read them off. Like, would it surprise you that only two of our guys is top one hundred all-time NBA scoring, and they're barely top one hundred? It was Grant Hill and Elton Brand. Like, yeah, they were ninetieth and ninety-second, and then we only have. Three more in the top 200. Uh, Boozer, Lou Wall, Dang, and Corey Maggette. Okay. Then you drop off to Leitner, Mike Dunleavy, Mike Jaminski, Shane Battier, J.J. Redick, Kyrie Irving, and Gerald Henderson. So like, it's a very limited, you know, like the, the what I was trying to juxtapose is like, you know, John Shire does his off-season podcast. He's like, okay, let's come up with the all-time Duke list. And when he does that, I'm like, the, the number of names are just literally endless. Like, you could pick five, I could pick five, somebody else could pick five, and all f- all three teams are going to be sick, right? But sick college teams. Sick college teams. But when when we try to come up with all-time Dukies in the NBA, it's much less impressive. Yeah. Uh, it's for sure. I mean, you know, our best all-time player was Christian Leitner, and he had a good NBA career, but he he wasn't like a perennial all-star. Right, like he made one All Star team, but uh, for sure, for sure, that's right. 
I think you're going to see a lot of these guys from the last couple of years, starting with Kyrie Irving, if Jabari Parker ever gets healthy. Hopefully he does. Jabari, Jabari this season was actually... It was going to be pretty good. It was a very, very promising season. Like, really good and explosive, ferocious dunks. Yeah, athletic. we're going to see Jason Tatum. We're going to see maybe Trayvon Duvall, maybe Wendell Carter. Like... As we do all these one and dones, we're having a lot more, uh, a lot more players come through the mill, essentially, and we're going to end up maybe Frank Jackson, <laughs> maybe, maybe, <laughs> I, know, I know, in your dreams, but uh, yeah, I mean, we're going to start seeing a lot more. Like you know, if you're worried about how many and how many points they're scoring, that's fine. Uh, I think we're going to wind up filling up the stat sheet because of this little error. Of how all, how all, we're recruiting all these one and done the one and done yeah so let me let me right take, but take, I don't know that that really makes us feel great like like I'm proud of I'm proud of some of these guys I'm proud of Battier's NBA career even though Battier didn't isn't in the top two yeah and we're scores. we're only looking at one metric scoring which is right I was not, not take that issue. fair of a measurement well nowadays you know the modern based basketball advanced analytics mindset. It's not really about just usage, points, counting statistics. It's about how good of a team player you are, what's your role, how efficient you are. And it, it's interesting when you look, with the, when you read off that list, a lot of these guys are pretty efficient basketball players. Like my favorite, who I just talked about, Johnny Dawkins, shooting such a high percentage from the line. Johnny Dawkins shot almost, uh, almost 50% from uh, two from two points. Uh, you know, obviously they weren't taking a lot of three-pointers back then, but he was a very efficient basketball I don't think, player. I don't think there was a three-point line when he played at Duke. Yeah, I don't, I don't think there was either. Uh, yeah, I think they brought in the three-point line in like 1984, 85, 86. Then he would have been there when it happened. Uh, it may have been may have been in there. I mean, he is the all-time leading scorer before Redick, so maybe maybe Imagine he had three a three-point line. Well, I think he maybe he did. I don't know. We should we should look that shit up. Who cares? Someone will tell us. One of our many leader listeners will email <laughs> us the answer. We'll look it up after the podcast and we'll, we'll mention it next time. But uh, my point is like Battier ended up. Yeah, he didn't score a ton of points in the NBA, but he was a pivotal role player on championship teams, yeah. on Olympic teams. He was a great basketball player. Say what you want about Shane Battier. When you're putting together your team, any team, you put Shane Battier on it. And the team's better. Yes. So the the question actually crossed my mind today when I was thinking about it, some of this stuff is on our two thousand one national championship team, who was the MVP on that team? Yeah, I mean it's either Jason Williams or Battier. I think it's Battier. Yeah. I mean I think everybody felt that way. At I the think time. it's Battier. Battier it, just brought too much to the table. All all parts of the game. Yeah. Right? And at the NBA level he was sort of a junior version of that. Right. And he's one of the guys the analytics people loved early. And they're like, you can't see it in the counting stats. But when he's on the court, his plus minus was, was excellent. You know, like, his, his, if, if you're listening to this and you didn't watch Shane Battier play, he was like Draymond Green on defense. Better scorer. At the college level. He was yeah, at the incredibly... At the college level. Not in the NBA, but at the college level... Yeah. He was doing some amazing, amazing things. And a terrific three-point shooter his junior and senior years. Yeah. Uh, yeah, and once in a while, he'd whip out a, like a motherfucking dunk on someone's head. <laughs> you know? Yeah. Uh, surprisingly and, athletic. 
Yeah, I felt like he was a really good athlete, and uh, that athleticism, he, he was not any kind of dominant athlete at the NBA level. Yeah. But what he was was a, a student of the game. I remember reading an article about him where he studied everyone's positioning on the court. I think it was the, Kobe, that Kobe the, article. The percentages the where they shot from. He knew how to make life difficult for everybody. But, yeah, I mean, I think when we go back and we look at these guys. He's also a cliche, like, glue guy. You know, like yeah. on those Miami Heat championship teams, he would run like an, an eliminator pool for the NFL. He'd collect the money from all the players, and then, you know, he would just do stuff like that for team building. Yeah, I mean, LeBron talked glowingly about the guy. Um, Grant Hill ended up being a bit of a team guy, role player later end. in his career. Uh, Redick. Redick is part of that, the glue on that. Redick's Clippers career team. still surprises me. Redick has yeah. had a great career. I thought for he, sure he would wash out after five, six years. Yeah, he's been he's been tremendous. He's yeah. a very good defender. Uh, he's he? a, well, here's the thing. He's about to be a free agent. Yeah. And he's 32, 33. He graduated 06. It's been yeah. 11 years since then, so probably 33. Yeah, he's, um, he's about to get a bunch of money. Probably. Most people at 33 won't. But this guy is one of the all-time best three-point shooters in the NBA and plays good defense. Does he play good defense? Yeah, he does, man. He, he does. He's a really smart team defensive player. And uh, he's in incredible shape. He, run, he runs up and down the court as well as anyone. He's like, uh, he just outworks. He outworks people in the conditioning part of the game. And, you know, he, he shot like 43% from three-point range last year. This year? This Pat, no, no okay. the year before. Because he, he started off real, uh, he started off struggling. I want to say last year he shot like 46.5% from three. He's he's like 14th all-time in NBA three-point percentage. Percentage-wise? Yeah, and he shot a lot, and that's shooting a lot of threes, you know. Right. Um, but yeah, he's, uh, I'm sorry, I got the stats all around, I'm looking at it now. He shot 47.5%. The year before this past year, right, led the league. This year he shot forty three percent. The year before that, forty seven percent. He shot over forty three percent. That's three years on a really good Clippers team, starting, taking a lot of threes, averaging forty five percent from three. That's which is incredible. incredible. Pretty incredible. Incredible. Talking about offensive efficiency. But that, I mean, that has to speak to a team with Chris Paul, Blake Griffin, and DeAndre Jordan. Other team has to worry about those guys. Yeah. How many of those threes were wide open? Not not many because they know. They know. I mean, they know to guard that guy. You know, nobody's leaving JJ Redick open. Anymore. It's not like his senior year at Duke, where like yeah. nobody ever left him. Well, compare him you to know, nobody ever left him at yeah. Duke. You know, he shot I want to say thirty nine and a half or forty percent his last two years because for him to shoot an open three, it was very often like a twenty eight or a thirty footer. I mean, I remember him shooting a few from the the K on the Coach K court. No, he's a he's he's a specialist, and he he adapted his game. But I guess my point is, is a lot of these guys are role ended up being incredible role players. Yeah. And nowadays, like it used to be almost frowned upon to be a role player, but nowadays that being an efficient role player is is more what the NBA is about. Uh, you know, these ball-dominant, you know, high-usage guys. I mean, obviously everybody wishes they were James Harden or had James Harden on the team. But... but I think there are a lot of people who wish they didn't have him on the team. <laughs> Maybe. But there's... there's a, The new NBA rewards guys like Battier, Redick, more than it used to. 
And so I don't think we have, I think we can look at our top 10 and think, okay, Luol Dang was just one of these all-court players, Grand Hill, Redick, Battier, you know, despite whatever, you know, they may not be top 10 ever in the NBA, but, you know. But who is? How are we doing on time? Can we talk about one more thing? We can talk, we can go as long as we want today. What time are we at? We're at like three hours. <laughs> so, okay. Um, let's, let's imagine if Grayson hadn't come back. Mm-hmm. This would have been the very first time that ever in that, any that, program that where they had nobody returning. Where where like <laughs> Coach K has a totally clean slate, you know? Like yeah, in that 2015 team, we still had Matt Jones, Quinn Cook, and Emil Jefferson. We yeah. had carryover, and in this particular like Frank and Jackson, Marshall Plummer. Yeah, exactly. Sure. But in in this particular case, like was it a little? Is it a little scary? Like is this how it's going to be every year? Like the people who stay behind, who are juniors and seniors, are are duds. Like they're not going to play. Let's say Grayson declared. Let's say Frank declared. Everyone declared. Is Antonio Vrankovic the captain? But he really doesn't carry any weight in the locker room because let's he's not that talented. So like, would would Gary Trent Jr. not give him the respect? You know what I'm saying? Like, yeah, I think I, I went back and I listened to Emil Jefferson's off-the-season off uh, John Shire podcast, and he was like, when I was a freshman, I got to Duke. Mason Plumlee would hit me up every day. He's like, let's work on free-throw shooting. He's like, when? He's like, 6.30 in the morning. And Emil was like, you know what, I'm, I'm busy. <laughs> like, I don't think I'm going to have the time. And Mason did that over and over, and after a while, he picked up on the fact that I wasn't going to do it, right? And so it, during practice or in a game, like Mason – basically talked down about me because he thought I didn't have that desire to become great at basketball. So, you know, Mason instills that into Emil. Emil instills that into, you know, whoever, and it carries on. But now if Grayson hadn't come back, is like Antonio Vrankovic going to school... I think you'd be surprised. I think I think I think some of these guys do take on leadership roles, but I think the answer you're looking for is well, one, yes, totally unusual. We have almost nobody coming almost back. Almost nobody. Just Grayson. Yeah. But you know who's coming back? The assistant coaches. So it's not just Coach K. Like like how does the legacy of the program get passed on, the values, the leadership? I think I think that's why it's important and noteworthy that we have John Shire, that we have Nate James, that we have Jeff Capel, guys who have been there, done that, played in the program, know what it's all about. They're not all older guys. Like, uh, they actually can connect, hopefully, with these guys on a right. even like a peer-to-peer level. John Shire is what twenty-eight. Uh, you know, it's uh, there's something to be said for that. There's a big challenge in front of them. Yeah. A big challenge for Grayson. There's a big challenge for the coaching staff to pass these qualities on to these guys. The expectations, the work ethic. I mean, I, I agree with you. Yeah. I think that's a big part of it. Um, I, I recall listening to the end of the year banquet uh, where the seniors get to speak, and Matt Jones was talking about how much you know you guys all look up to me and respect me, but really I, I look up to and respect you guys. But in his speech, it was very, very clear that the freshmen, both this year as well as last year, that they really look up to Matt Jones. You know, like you come in as a freshman, yeah, there's Coach K. There's Coach Capel, there's Coach Shire, but a lot of that is just like looking up to your peers on your team, you know. And as these Duke freshmen come in, 
they're going to look at the serial tripper. That's the only guy they can look. Here's the guy who threw a temper tantrum on, on the bench against Elon. Yeah, I bet you yeah. it's not like that in practice. I bet you it's just not like that. I think Grayson Allen it's, probably commands great respect within the locker room at Duke this summer. I bet you he's there. I so bet he's, you, he's the captain next year. I think he 100. percent He's the captain, and and he's and the I would, solo, I would expect, solo captain. No, I would expect one of the other guys. Rankovich. I don't know. Justin Robinson. I have no idea. Like I don't know. I'm not in there. But my guess is some of those guys. There's there's other ways to be a leader besides scoring 15 or 20 points a game or being a lockdown defender. Yeah. These guys are all on the team together. They're sweating together. They're in the locker room together, in practice. Whether they're on the first team or the second team, and if they've been there for two, three, four years, they know what's going on and they can let the freshmen know what they need to do and they can support them in a different way. And maybe it'll end up being a beautiful thing where there, there's a, a passing of the torch in terms of legacy and leadership but but not a, not a competition around the playing time. Or, the, you know, there's that conflict between the upperclassmen and, and the, uh, you know, the young guys. Naturally, they're going to come in and compete for their job. Yeah. That won't be the case this year. You know, except for a few exceptions. Right. It's just, yeah. But Delaria has been there for a year. For one year. One year's a lot. One year of, of the experience they had last year five, probably felt like two years, right? And these guys come in with no experience. They've never been to campus before. They need people to tell them where the student center is. Where's the Bryan Center? How do I get to my class? Yeah, no. You know, but, and so those okay. guys are going to naturally provide mentorship. Okay. It's just going to happen. I mean, we, we do have to wrap this up, but... Um, remember we hit like we actually had a bunch of bumps in the road this this past season but there was like after our little comeback this winning streak we hit like Syracuse and I think we might have lost at Miami and then there was a lot of talk or chatter amongst like people like you and me and an alumni you know groups or whatnot that the freshmen were bucking you know like like Tatum or Giles Bolden like they weren't buying into the team construct like they're like okay this season is is done i'm just gonna get mine i'm gonna worry about my draft stock status you know what i'm saying so like if our, and, then, and then they all left and people transferred so sure yeah if it if may our, have been something to it if our team experiences something like that next year if grayson mm-hmm. weren't here if these is Frankovich really gonna say hey gather up guys wendell carter trayvon Duvall, come here this is not how we well, do it these guys would look at him and be like who are you you know, I'm not going to listen to you. Like, well, here's here's kind of, I think that's a good. Point. It's it's a scary thought. It's right? an interesting point. It's a scary but, but thought. Here's, no. Here's why it's not scary. It's not scary for you. Here's why it's not. Okay. Preseason, summer, that that kind of mentorship, show me around campus, etc., is going to happen, right? Right. There's not going to be that that competition. What would you buck against? Because guess what? These are the guys going to be playing. It's their team. There's no. There's no like established leadership to buck up against. It's just Grayson and them. And Grayson's outnumbered. So Coach K is going to look him square in the eye and say, this is your team. To Grayson. No. To the freshman. To Trayvon. It's not just, Grace, it's not just Grayson's. It's Grayson's outnumbered by these guys. There's going to be four guys starting in Grayson. I mean, Grayson may provide leadership and they may, they may do it well. But ultimately... The success of the team is going to depend on, on the freshmen coming in and a couple of young sophomores. That's it, and you know one guy, Grayson. So Grayson's going to probably I think it's, seem like I think it's basically going to be freshmen 
and Grayson. They're gonna have no one to look at but them, but themselves. Grayson is now the Quinn yeah. Cook role on the 2015 title team. That's pretty it's much. Good, that's pretty much what it's gonna be like. It's it's except we're we're missing like Matt Jones and Emil Jefferson were two key reserves on that team. So can Grayson engender respect and love amongst these freshmen when he's been there for four years and they're just coming in, right? But I think I think unlike last year and three years ago, him being alone is going to be a completely different kind of experience as a leader. Yes. Uh, yeah. And I think you're going to just, these guys are going to have to own the responsibility. They have no choice. You're talking about the freshmen. The freshmen. They have okay. to own the responsibility. They want to be one and done guys. They want to be all-stars. They think of themselves that way. They're going to have no one else to turn to. Frank Jackson could take a back seat this year. These guys can't take a back seat next year. They're going to, all the blame is going to be put on them. There's nowhere, there's nowhere else, to, there's nowhere to hide on next year's roster. That's kind of the beauty of it, I think. And it's why they can't sort of buck. They can't just all be out for themselves. They have, they have to win. They have to win to get some respect because they're going to go on the court and if they get pasted, guess what? They're, they're, their stock's going to drop because there's nowhere to hide. Hmm. I think they're going to be okay. I think we yeah, have, because we have a lot of talent. Because they're so talented. The roster but it's, is it's, well put together, It's, it's clear that if you just amass talent, it doesn't necessarily mean you're going to go like 35 and 4. Like It's, yes. it's just not that easy. I don't think we're going you know? 35 and 4. The ACC is right. still loaded. Yes. Yeah. Yes. And, and the ACC is bigger and stronger. Yeah, older. <laughs> Obviously older. older. Older does better. Well... I think Bolden will start. I, I said four freshmen will start. I think Bolden will start. Uh, and I don't think a lot of people are bigger and stronger than Bolden. But and Grayson, his position is pretty old and big and strong. And I think Wendell Carter <coughs> is uh, a little advanced beyond his years. And uh, yeah, I think we're going to be okay. And I think Duvall is a yeah. I don't disagree. An I absolute think, baller. I think I mean, we should be fine. Yeah, when you just think of him as freshman, that's fine. But yeah, I'm I mean, actually very very excited. Yeah, I don't know how many, how many losses we're gonna we're gonna have next year. I don't know where we're gonna be ranked, but I think we we now have a chance, a real strong chance to be a top five team. Yeah, uh, and to be a one, two, or three seed. Whereas before Trayvon Duvall committed, and before Grayson Allen announced he was coming back, I was worried. I was thinking, yeah, this is gonna be like a down year. Yeah, definitely some kind of down year. Now it could be anything. It's like a total wild yeah. card. Yes. We don't know, and it's exciting. It's an exciting time. Yes. Yeah, I was excited last year. Let me know how that went, but it was uh, it provided excitement. It was interesting. I, this year, everybody's healthy going in to the summer, right? As far as we know. Yeah. Uh, so hopefully, we won't have those issues to contend with. They'll have. I, I imagine they're all going to be there in the summer, uh, starting the team building, and uh, we'll see. Uh, all right, man. It's been uh, fun talking basketball with you. As always. As always, man. All right. Uh, good dude. See you guys.